1: Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Darlene Love celebrates her 80th birthday today, so it's time for Christmas in July. We spoke in December about her timeless holiday hit, Christmas Baby Please Come Home, as well as her role in the Lethal Weapon movies and spotlight in the documentary 20 Feet from Stardom.
2: I always make it a point to sing all my holiday classics, the one that comes from the Phil Spector uh, Christmas album, because everybody enjoys hearing them because really and truly they only get to hear them once a year, and that's when I do my Christmas show. And I do my Christmas show from the beginning of November to the 1st of January. And even with that, when I go and have other jobs after that, they want me to do the same Christmas songs. I say, well, wait, guys. Christmas is over. We have to wait now until next year. But they usually end up talking me into doing Christmas Baby. You know, I will do that one for them until about (laughs) mid-January.
0: And I tell them, you know, you guys
2: won't have anything to look forward to if I sing it all year long. What what would the fun be? And then they all agree.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I agree, too. Take me back all the way to the beginning. Uh, I know you were born in L.A. and grew up around there. Is it true you grew up singing in the church
1: choir?
2: Yes, my father was a minister, and he had a church. And I have uh, four siblings, and we were in the church from morning to night as, we, as people used to tell it you know in Sunday school in afternoon service and night service on Sundays and uh, they let us sleep during the week cuz we had to go to school <laughs> <laughs> but we were all in church grew up in church singing in the church choir you know and singing all uh, actually at christmas time we always did a, a program for for our services on christmas where, you know, we sung all of the Christmas songs, never did I ever dream my life would take a turn, and I start singing secular music and singing all of those Christmas songs, you know, for a record producer you know, after singing them in church most of my life.
0: So how did that pivot actually happen? I know you were singing in doo-wop groups, the Echoes and the Blossoms, and, you know, how did you meet Phil Spector, and how did that whole thing come about?
2: As a backup singer with the Blossoms, the group I started out singing with, doing background record, actually recording records, I worked with Phil Spector's uh, partner, Lester Sill, unbeknownst to me that it was Phil Spector's partner, Uh, and he told me we had been doing some backup work for him and some artists he had, and uh, he said that his partner was coming to California and wanted to record a record, and uh, would we do it? And we said yes, but at first we thought it was just background, but he wanted background and lead, and that's something I hadn't did yet on a record. So I said sure. He'd be coming to town, and he would introduce me, and we would talk and find out exactly what he wanted me to do, And um, we went into the studio and learned the song. And within a couple of weeks after learning it with the Blossoms, we went into the studio along with what they call now the Wrecking Crew, that band that Phil used for everything, and recorded He's a Rebel. And that's exactly how it all started. Yeah, and the Wrecking Crew, those guys, that was the first record they did with Phil Spector also. So he just kept that same song, that same, the same musicians and the same singers on everything that he did. Even when he, like, recorded the Righteous Brothers, you know, the Ronettes, the Crystals, you know, all of those groups. The Blossoms did most of the background on all of those songs.
0: Yeah, I was about to say that. Re- remind our listeners, I mean, they hear "Darling Love, they remember, you know, the stuff that your name was officially attached to. But remind our listeners that, you know, they can hear your voice on many of those Famous, famous classics that were credited to other people, you know, like the S Be My Baby, uh, Monster Mash, slice uh, with Sinatra, <laughs> or the, especially the Crystals. I mean, the Do-Run-Run and, and He's Sure the Boy I Loved. Uh, you, that was supposed to be released by you, right? It was supposed to be
2: my record, and Phil changed his mind at the, at the last minute. Well, he probably had in his mind to do it all the time, but I didn't know that. Because when, when we went into the studio to record those records, they were supposed to be the first Darling Love records, which were they were not. Now, the Crystals' first record, He's a Rebel, I knew was going to be theirs. I didn't like the song anyway, and I said it probably ain't going to sell more than one copy anyway, so I'll do it if you pay me. <laughs> and here we are. Who knew? A 50-some-odd... Plus years later, those songs will st- are still being played like they did when they were recorded in the '60s.
0: When I found out about that you were on on all those songs, I was like, "Man, that's, what an even bigger legacy that a lot of people didn't even realize." Um, but then, you know, of course, then,
2: you know, if if people are like you, they dig deep enough, and fans do that deep, deep and they know your voice. Like I was on uh, with Sam Cooke, we did "Everybody Likes the Cha Cha Cha" and "Chain Gang." And, of course, I was on Elvis's, the Blossoms were on Elvis's 1968 comeback special. So we were the background group for the 60s and the 70s and the early 50s, you know, when records started coming out, especially when rock and roll started being established. The Blossoms were the background singers on mostly all those hits that came out of California.
0: Oh, absolutely! I just think that's such a cool piece of music history that, that that you know the whole blossoms background thing. But then, of course, you get you finally, you know, you get your own spotlight. You're the big solo hit. You reference the Christmas uh, "Baby Please Come Home" in 1963. The word "life changing" is thrown around a lot, but in this case, it really was for you, right?
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yes. Because we didn't know what Phil was doing when he said he was going to do a rock and roll Christmas album. We didn't even know what that meant. Because at that time, nobody was was singing Christmas songs, not, not in a rock and roll way you know they can a few of them with blues and you know you had you know Bing Cosby and you know all those guys that were singing silent night and winter wonderland very beautiful but then Phil Spector was going to make them all rock and roll songs so we said well okay the more we got into it the more we felt like wow these are really great and of course when we when they did and finished christmas baby please come home everybody sat around with their mouths wide open you know like really this is unbelievable. So I mean but still even with everything we didn't think our records were gonna be around, especially Christmas baby please come home fifty years, fifty some odd years later, and they were gonna make that a model song at Christmas time because now everybody prays it. It's the record to play at Christmas time. So you know I'm overjoyed. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. I would be too <laughs> Um, And you talk about how cool it was when Letterman would invite you to sing it. Every year it became a a tradition. You know what?
2: That started my Christmas tours. You know, I had been doing a few Christmas shows like in New York and New Jersey, Connecticut, but that's about as big as it got. But we were doing a show at the bottom line in New York. It's a nightclub. And we did a show called uh, Leader of the Pack. And in that show, I sung Christmas Baby, Please Come Home at the end of the show. Paul Schaefer from the David Letterman Show played Phil Spector, and he invited David down to see the show one night, and the next night uh, David said to Paul, we need to get that girl down here on on my show to sing that Christmas song. That's one of the greatest Christmas songs I've ever heard, and that's what started, because I thought it was going to be like a a one-night thing. Then the next year they called, and then the next year they called, and... By the time they called me five times, all of my work had really picked up. It wasn't just New Jersey and New York where I was doing Christmas shows; I was doing them all over the country. And I tell, I told uh, David one night, I said, "You're the reason why I'm so popular at Christmas time," because he dubbed me the Christmas Queen. Now, who ever thought that would happen? And every year for 29 years, I sung that one song on the david letterman show and it was because david saw me in a play that paul shaper was playing phil spector and he heard that song so That's we made a cool. deal with them we said okay i won't sing this song for anybody else at christmas time i'll do, do it here first and then i will sing it on other shows later but they i gave them that privilege since i felt they really started me and started me on my christmas tours and you know, because after the song was a hit, of course everybody wanted me to sing it. You know, I said no, no, no. I'll sing it after I do the David Letterman show. You know, so that became a thing. And and after that, of course, we after David's last show, we started doing it on the View. So now the View has first dibs at me singing that song.
0: So <laughs> it's really,
2: a, you know what? To be thought of any time is a wonderful thing, but to be Thought of as darling love at Christmas time to me is a, even a much more blessing for me. You know what I'm saying? Because it's a great time of the year. You know, and this time of the year, unfortunately, everything that's going on in the world, these songs gives your spirit an uplift. You know, they make you feel good. There's none of those songs on that Phil Spector Christmas album is a drug. Along I hate all oh, so. So me and poor me at Christmas time. There's songs that really lifts your spirit. That, that you know that that is even a blessing.
0: Absolutely, and we need that right about now.
2: Hey, oh, you mentioned
0: yeah. um, you know the leader of the pack, the Tony-nominated uh, jukebox musical on Broadway. How cool was it getting to play yourself in that?
2: It was really great, you know, because at first when they started talking about, it, I thought they were going to have somebody to play me, you know, uh, because let me these 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 songs are over fifty years old and. I'm going to play these songs in a play, you know, uh, twice a twice a night, you know, for the by the week, you know. I was really, but I have kept myself very energized. I, I try to do things to keep my body strong and healthy, you know. And I didn't even realize I could do it. And uh, we started rehearsing it, and there I was, the real darling love and leader of the pack.
0: <laughs> so cool. So that was
2: even great, yeah. And then you know, of course everything comes around and a lot of times when you put out good stuff good stuff good stuff really comes back I really do believe that and then after that I got the Lethal Weapon movies which was even way past what I ever thought I'd be doing
0: yeah I'm (laughs) gonna ask about that how a whole new generation knows you as Danny Glover's wife and then you know you had Mel Gibson and Gary Busey I mean you're part of a action classic franchise now I
2: am a now cult actress (laughs) (laughs)
0: because you know
2: usually when they play the lethal weapon movies they always play them all at the same time and people sit there and watch them you know they're 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 funny to you now somewhat because when you look at what they do in the movies now but people still enjoy watching those lethal weapon lethal weapon movies all because the agent who was the agent uh the the casting director for that movie was a darling love fan, and he saw me act mm-hmm. uh, at the bottom line, and he just said, do you would you do a movie with Danny Glover and Mel Gibson?" And I said, "With who?" I said, "Yeah, right, <laughs> sure." You know, of course, you know, you people say things, and you know, halfway as long as I've been in this business, you kind of take it with a grain of salt, you know, and you say, "Yeah, sure." And actually, they had been auditioning, but they wanted a black actress who could, who was not that famous one that's always in the same movies you see them every time in a movie and it just I was in the right place at the right time and I said thank you Jesus <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> totally. Well, cool. I guess that brings us to more recent years. Uh, real quick before we run, tell me how much of an honor it was to, to finally get inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2011. I mean, I know that Midler was the one to do it, and then at Springsteen that night, too, right?
2: It was him. You know, this guitar was on stage all night. I knew he was coming, but I didn't know when. I knew he was going to play in Zippity-Doo-Dah. He loved the, the guitar solo in there. But that that guitar just sat there all night, and when I got on the stage, Bruce appeared, and he started playing. And I went, you know what? This is way over my head, you guys. You know, some things you never think about doing. A lot of things you said, I'm in this business because I want to do this. I want to get this accolade. I want to get that accolade. But me, I never thought of those things. And when they said that I was going to be nominated, just to be nominated is an honor. Because what you go through to be nominated is a big deal. It's not no just, oh, these are great people. No, you it, it goes through a big transformation. And for them to pick my name out of thousands of names, I mean, it does not get any better than that. you know. And I was really, the, the night I was inducted and I said my speech, I was crying so hard I couldn't almost get it out. And I was like, hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me get these tears away so I can really tell you guys how I feel about this. So it was amazing, and Bet and I had been friends for a long time, and i didn't and I don't think they really knew we were friends. that even made it even better uh for us that get inducted. We don't get to choose the person who inducts us; they do, so for them to get bet to do that for me was such an honor you know those are things that you know I'll never forget you know if if the next thing doesn't happen, I always have things that I can act be thankful for things that have happened to me in my life and in my career.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That you, your, your Rock Hall induction was emotional. And then we also saw you on stage, you know, sharing the Oscar win for 20 Feet from Stardom. You know what? That
2: was such an honor uh, because to do something, uh, to be honored for something that you had made a living, just a regular living doing as a backup singer. I started in 1957, just singing background for people. And then, as you would have it, one man said, hmm, he was watching the show and he saw a, people, a girl singing background. He said, I wonder what their story is. It's amazing how things like that happen. And it ended up being winning an Academy Award also and winning a Grammy. You know, those are things you can't wish for. Those are things that you can't even think, that's going to happen to me. That's going to happen to me because of a job I did starting in 1957. It was my last year in high school. Who ever thought? (laughs) I can't think that far ahead.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. And tell my fans, I can't wait to see them. We have our fingers, our toes, everything is crossed that next year we'll be there in person.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sounds good, Darlene Love. appreciate it. Thank you
0: so much.